0: Imagine being a part of a large group of people, all with differing points of view, socioeconomic beliefs, and backgrounds. Now, imagine you are asked to discuss a variety of issues, such as economy, the environment, and immigration. In September of 2019, a total of 526 registered American voters were brought together to discuss important em- important issues that impact all of us. Participants were respectful, addressed each talking point more objectively, and simply approached these issues as individuals who are being impacted by them daily. These are the voices of America in One Room.
1: I don't want to go back to feeling ignorant or feeling that I'm not able to speak to this at all. I've never talked to anybody who was staring down poverty. When you come in and you're so angry and so negative, nothing good can come from that. Walked into a room with a bunch of people who didn't share my opinion and didn't come from anywhere near the same place.
0: Welcome to Voices of America in One Room. My name is Alice. I'm the Associate Director at the Center for Deliberative Democracy at Stanford University. In this episode of Voices of America in One Room, we sit down with Beverly, a 74-year-old retiree from Cary, North Carolina. Beverly has always had a healthy respect for research and big data, and she thought participating in the America in One Room experience would be fun. As a retired educator, Beverly has encountered a variety of differing viewpoints over the course of her lifetime, but her experience with America in One Room helped lead her down a path she never would have expected to take, especially in the middle of a pandemic Let's listen in as Beverly explains the major life change she embraced following her America in one room experience.
1: This is kind of a long story, but here it goes. I was comfortable in Frisco, Texas. I moved into a neighborhood I chose mm-hmm. uh, because it was full of people just like me mm-hmm. and my age and my socioeconomic status and um, was content pretty much but being with the America in one room Mm -hmm. changed that for me. Um, You know, part of what I loved about being in higher education was the collegial exchange, differing points of view, people come together and solve problems. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'd spend a good chunk of my life doing and didn't realize how much I missed that until I was with America in one room. Prior to our arrival at the hotel, we were given a marvelous briefing book. Someone did a great job of taking the about eight issues down to the basics and then giving us the pros and cons that people were discussing and the things they were feeling on both sides of the argument. And by the way, I did my own research too, fact-checking. The briefing book. Oh, that's excellent. And and got kind of interested in some of the issues. So when I got to the hotel, all of a sudden I was in the middle with of the room with thirteen other thirteen people, twelve other people, and nobody resembled me. Mm -hmm. And um, I liked it. I liked the challenge of the different perspectives. Mm -hmm. I was impressed by how civil the discussions were. It was just nice. And emotions and politics, mostly, yeah. were parked at the door. Right, right. So after I returned home, I, was, I realized, oh, gosh, <laughs> <laughs> I, my brain may dry up and die wow. here. And um, so I started writing the criteria for where would I go and mm-hmm. what would I do if I went and what would that feel like? And then, um, then we had COVID Mm -hmm. and it was even worse because I was home. Mm -hmm. I was home and there was no place to go for me. Mm -hmm. So there, that was it. Your family
0: might have thought you were a little crazy, right? I I mean, they were
1: concerned at first. (laughs) They're very protective. My children are very protective. And my daughter kept saying, but you're safe where you are. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Were they shocked for the reasons why you wanted to
1: move? I don't think so. They're both a lot like me Mm -hmm. and um, they're just tremendous human beings. And I think they got it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At least they do now for sure.
0: Well, I am in awe that first you had the thought to move. I mean, many of us, are very comfortable with our day to day, with our routine. And probably most people don't like change and to change your environment so drastically, and especially doing during a pandemic, that must that's really hard. And it takes a lot of will to to do that.
1: Actually, I wasn't going to change until this spring. I wasn't even going to put the house in the market. But the realtor kind of got um, anxious because of the election, uh-huh. and she never did explain what she meant by that. But she said, "Could we just go ahead and list the house?" The house sold in two hours. Wow! Yes, so I had to do something, and in term and about being uncomfortable with moving, maybe it's as you get older. Um, there's really only two ways to go. You can settle in and just wait to die, or you can do something.
0: Wow. Beverly, those are words of gold. Um, <laughs> I'm serious because for many of us, you know, especially during this pandemic, we're mm-hmm. alone by ourselves with our thoughts so often yeah. that we are stuck and we're thinking about ourselves and, it takes so much motivation to change and do oh, something nice. and you're, you make it sound so easy and it's so encouraging to hear that you're doing it, you know, while we're tired. mean um, I think, as you said, it's either you stay the course and you do this till you die or you do mm-hmm. something about it.
1: I don't think it takes a lot of courage. First of all, I'm a believer and I know, and I, I prayed over this mm-hmm. and I know that um, God is with me and God takes care of me. So that's mm-hmm. the most important thing. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is, well, I don't know that there is another thing.
0: <laughs> there doesn't need to be. I think to me, it's enlightening that there's. you don't need to wait. You just have to make a decision and move forward. But what was it exactly about America in One Room that helped bring about this change? Why was Beverly now so willing to pack up her possessions, sell her home and move, and all during a pandemic at that? That's
1: a great question. Of the 12 other people, there was an incredible range There were these young millennials, there were a couple of older people, too. And they just had a different experience in life, um, Mm -hmm. a perspective. And I'm I'm well off financially. So that's another thing that makes doing anything not scary. Mm -hmm. And I can't take credit for that. That's just Mm -hmm. that was savings. Mm -hmm. Um, But these other people saw the world so differently. And including one woman from the opposite end of the economic scale, I'd never talked to anybody who was um, staring down um, poverty mm-hmm. and dealing with it and soldiering up. I mean, she was she knew all of the ins and outs of the welfare system and the all the various supports that are available, and she was taking care of business. And I was very impressed. And she was there for the $400. Yes. Did
0: that surprise you?
1: (sighs) I wouldn't walk across the street for $400 if it wasn't fun, you know? And here she took a whole weekend away from her kids with a hurricane bearing down on town um, for $400. Mm
0: So while Beverly was certainly comfortable in her environment, she made the drastic decision to place herself in a brand new environment. But still, what was it about her experience in America in One Room that helped her make the change? We dove deeper into her experiences with the other members of her group to help shed some light on her decision. I want to get back to your group and the stories and the stories within the group. What did you expect from the discussion? Did you expect people to disagree with you? Did you expect yelling? What were you thinking would happen Mm -hmm. in the group? It's good.
1: Um, I actually tried to be open and not have a preconception going in. I expected it to be more like it was Mm -hmm. just because the alternative would just be gross, just would not be fun, but it was was even better than I expected. These people, everybody kind of showed up with the same intent. We didn't want politics in there. There wasn't a lot of emotionalism, although it was present, it was under control. I got to know these people and I have to say, I just thought they were tremendous, exceptional people. And at the same time, I know none of us was exceptional. We just ended up in that group. And that makes me think that makes me have a better feeling for my fellow citizens of the United States.
0: How was politics left out of the room?
1: How do you leave that
0: behind when you're talking about immigration and climate change and Especially immigration. Like, how do you leave politics out of the
1: room? I honestly don't know, but none of us wanted to hear or talk about politics. And these are issues that, while they're being dealt with in political ways, these are tough issues that need to be resolved by the United States of America as a country. I, I believe that we need to help our neighbors so that where they live is a better place, not a place they want to escape from. That's not a political perspective, but I know you're going to ask me about the incident. It was uh, begging.
0: It was begging for me it to was, follow up was. with that question. So Beverly, what what was that uncomfortable situation?
1: Okay. One of the group, one member of the group said, and I know you've heard this language before. I've heard this language used. This, way of speaking about slavery. I've heard that used before. That terminology didn't catch me off guard, but I wasn't sure, I've never thought it was an appropriate way to talk about it. Um, And I've said so to to my friends too. Uh, She said that she was brought here against her will um, as a, a, in slavery. Mm And of course, that isn't true because she was born in like 1980 or something like that. So, um, but um, she was kind of wound up about it and then turned to the other young woman who had just finished telling us that her mother had come as a child Mm. brought by um, her grandmother Mm -hmm. um, as, as a refugee, as a an undocumented person, mm-hmm. and they were escaping, I guess, the communist government. And um, she said, well, your your mother should have gone back to her country and made it a better place. That whole 10, 20 second exchange was just took the air out of the room. I'm sure it did. <laughs> and um, And nobody was comfortable and nobody was making eye contact. Everybody was looking down, including me. Yeah, and I and I sat there thinking, somebody should say something, (laughs) and uh, and not wanting to say anything. Mm. And as I kind of mentally surveyed the room, I'm looking at a person of Jewish descent, Mm -hmm. and of course his his people have never been not discriminated against. Right next to him was a guy whose father escaped from Germany from. Nazi occupation. One of the women uh, down on the other side of the table had talked about um, growing up with a family that was devastated in the Dust Bowl days and people, children dying. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you go around the room, I'm thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is a bigger story. Yeah. And then uh, half of us were women Mm -hmm. and women have been an oppressed minority throughout history, all over the world. Mm-hmm. And so um, we could have gone in a different direction and we didn't. I guess it was one of those, the road not taken moments. And the, the two women uh, reconciled uh, later and spoke and talked with each other, talked it out. And so everything worked. But I just thought someday, we, we that's a conversation we I want to have.
0: Despite not seeing eye-to-eye at first, whether through misunderstanding or not initially hearing what each other was actually saying, these two women were able to cast those differences aside and connect with each other on a human-to-human level. What Beverly and others recognize is that we all have different histories that have helped shape who we are. And it just reminds us That in the things that we say and the things that we don't say, everyone just has their own background. And it leads to certain opinions that people have. And sometimes we forget that. Beverly's final thought on the matter was pretty straightforward.
1: And that was another lesson, I think, from... America in one room is that your perspective is legitimate. Mm -hmm. And if it's not the same as mine, so what?
0: We then touched more on Beverly's decision to move and how her America in one room experience helped her view the world through a different lens. Do you still carry that feeling? Has that changed? since you know being a year
1: out now, I do I think I carried that through the election period as well mm. And in fact that's one of the cha- one of the things that changed within me. Um, like I said, my neighbors were all just like me. A friend of mine used to call me an MAMCWW.
0: You're gonna have to explain that.
1: <laughs> I know. He used to call me and this was when I was with middle-aged a middle-aged middle-class white woman okay. and he said that cover that colors no pun intended everything you do and everything you think and you won't understand where I'm coming from until you can see through that wow so that was a long time ago and I was middle-aged at the time I'm I'm old now so I guess if he were alive He would change those initials. (laughs) But um, the fact is he was right. Mm -hmm. And I was content. As I said, this was the neighborhood, the area that I had chosen Mm -hmm. to spend the rest of my life. And it just was not enough after this. And in fact, I could no longer see, I could no longer see things through that lens. And so when the election rolled around, and I, I know you want You were going to ask me about this, too. It was too late for me to, to go back. And some of the things I noticed from every speaker, every entire, every candidate, all, all over, the language was geared to gen up mm. the listener, the audience. And um, if you even go beyond that, there's very little critical thinking going on yeah. and certainly um, no balance or almost no balance. And rarely were the voters encouraged to do an intelligent analysis of what was going on. That's not an informed elect- voter. Mm-hmm. That's, not, that's not anything but a, a mob. Yeah. And we have seen mobs. I resented that. I came to resent that, that kind of manipulation. And yet there was nobody out there not manipulating. So the process made me work harder and decide really how I was going to vote instead of just voting um, the way that I always vote. That didn't change, (laughs) but what did change was my... um,
0: analysis,
1: my work, my why I voted.
0: This is where Beverly's background as an educator started to shape the conversation. If we are to help break the cycle of being uninformed, which includes not being mindful of differing viewpoints, then we need to be able to think critically. I mean, it changes the process. You're describing a yes. a very thoughtful
1: yeah. process that you. Went you know through. what? Voting is a privilege. Why are we taking anybody's word for uh, what should be going on? Why shouldn't we? Maybe if you're not formed, you shouldn't be allowed to informed. You shouldn't be allowed to vote. That is hard. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Because they, I mean, there's such a wide range of what being
1: informed means, right? Well, there's the truth and everything else. So maybe if we teach kids in school to be Ah. critical thinkers, to get down to the truth, to not accept anything but the truth, then maybe they'll become good voters, informed voters,
0: I can't disagree with you there, Beverly. I think our educational system, I wish that our educational system could have the resources to really help get those critical thinking skills.
1: Mm -hmm. I used to teach um, incoming freshmen, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, adult students, Mm -hmm. critical thinking skills. There are courses out there. It would be so easy to do that. And then old-fashioned civics, Oh, cow. When people don't know history and do freshmen in college still have to take um, two history courses? That probably varies by institution.
0: <laughs> Why
1: not? I don't know the answer to that, Beverly. I don't either. But we, we need to fix this. It needs to be repaired.
0: Beverly, is is a course
1: enough? What else are we missing? First of all, Sometimes I think our country escapes because it's too big to fail. But th- really, that's not true because we could lose all of this. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand why it's not important enough to, um, to treasure it and protect it. And I don't know how you do that.
0: We have to practice. I don't think yeah. it sounds like voting is not enough. There has to be some kind of regular practice of these critical thinking
1: skills. Well, for sure. But how do you make people want to be intelligent voters? And sadly, I just don't know. What would your advice be? Before when we talked, I really thought about how could we do this? How could we make this available? And there are retirement communities that do um, uh, seminars on, um, oh, what are they called? Oh, current events. hmm and the object is, you you can't proselytize. Mm-hmm. You just try to look at both sides, very much like that briefing book we got. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That would be good. Uh, League of Women Voters sends out a paper every election year, every big election year, and they say, this is what so-and-so believes, this is what so-and-so believes, here's what's wrong with that, or right with that. Mm-hmm. And Somewhere out there, all these pieces need to come together in one place.
0: After talking with Beverly, it's clear that it's going to take time and effort to get society into a good enough place where they'll start listening to and thoughtfully engaging with each other. But how do we ensure that everyone has an opportunity to experience the time of engagement that America in One Room participants
1: experienced. I think you guys are on the right track. Whatever you're doing, you're looking at it, you're talking about it. Somebody's going to find a way to make this profitable and then make us all want to buy it. <laughs> and then we're done.
0: <laughs>
1: wow. That
0: is that is a tall order, Beverly. <laughs> I want to hop back into your group. I have some, just a, a couple okay. follow-up questions. Okay. There. there was climate change on the discussion. It mm-hmm. was one of the topics. Were there people on differing scales of what they thought about climate change or the environment?
1: I think there was um, for sure. There was one woman who felt strongly that, um, that the whole focus on climbing ch- climate change was wrong. Mm-hmm. That, the climate is changing, but we don't know why. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and maybe it's temporary. And actually in my research, it is, it is cyclical. Mm -hmm. Um, the climate started changing and getting warmer 5,000 years ago. And, uh, and then we had a mini ice stage and then it came growing back. So there, it's being educated again. Mm -hmm. But anyway, she, um, she was definitely what, um, Critics call a climate denier. Mm -hmm. And then I think there were a couple of other people that weren't so sure Mm -hmm. that um, climate change is something to be concerned about. But they didn't say Mm -hmm. they didn't speak up. And she was even hesitant because she felt she would be criticized and obviously had been. We were all respectful of her opinion and she was respectful of um, the other the other side. Mm -hmm. So it was just a good, nobody was rude to her and, or dismissive. There were a few other topics,
0: economy, foreign policy, and healthcare. Were there any notable discussions or stories that were shared?
1: I I can only speak for myself, but um, one of the other uh, people in the group had three jobs. Wow. But never healthcare never benefits because three jobs are part-time jobs until so you don't get benefits. Yeah. So that's not a good solution. And, and I went in with a very conservative perspective. And in fact, I still don't like the language uh, Medicare for all. Mm-hmm. I don't like that language. Medicare is a um, balanced approach for old people. And it works really well. I'm quite pleased with how it works. But if we have Medicare for all, it will not work this way. It'll work some other way, but there's got to be a better answer than that.
0: What advice would you have for our listeners that did not get to participate in America in one room?
1: I would say probably three things. First, Be willing to hold your ideas Mm. loosely and do an intelligent analysis when someone doesn't agree with you. If you get a chance to hear somebody else's perspective, take it and don't seek so much to be understood as to understand. And then I would say dial down the rhetoric. You can't hear anybody when you're screaming. And work, get to work. If you've got time to invade a building and march in a street, you've got time to roll up your hands, roll up your sleeves and use your hands and do the work.
0: Very wise words, Beverly. I'm so grateful for you joining today and sharing your thoughts and just reflecting back on what America in One Room was like for you and and talking about how the experience has impacted you.
1: Well, it's been uh, life-changing. It was life-changing. It was invigorating. I really appreciated being invited. I appreciate the work that you all did to accomplish this. I hope that it doesn't get lost.
0: Me too. And I hope this, at least this podcast series, is going to keep it going.
1: Well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me.
0: From the Center for Deliberative Democracy at Stanford University... Helena, N-O-R-C at the University of Chicago and By the People Productions. This has been episode one of Voices of America in One Room. If you like our series, please consider giving us a five-star review and be sure to tell your friends to subscribe. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Voices of America in One Room is hosted by me, Alice Hu. To learn more about me, you can find me on the Center for Deliberative Democracy's website. Voices of America in One Room is produced by Jared Sanders and Scott Simpson. Our audio engineer and sound engineer is Josh Williams. This series is executive produced by the Center for Deliberative Democracy at Stanford University and Toby
1: Agency.